Welcome to episode 187 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. In July 2015, I attended my first National Speakers Association annual conference and committed to attending 10 years in a row for deciding whether it was worth it. I had been part of a professional association when I was in fundraising, so I understood the value of this community for my business. Every year, I return with the goal of having completed a big goal for my business or with a question that I need answered. Year two, I launched my podcast, On The Schmooze, just days before the event and went in with the goal of lining up a few guests. I quickly realized that I had to get picky about who I invited because pretty much everyone and anyone would say yes. I ended up getting a dozen yeses from people who had spoken on the main stage and or were past presidents of the National Association and or had million dollar businesses. The quality of guests that I could attract and reach out to after those aired just jumped tremendously, and my show was only a few months old at that point. Year three, I attended the event just a couple of weeks before my book launched, which had quotes and stories from many of those podcast guests from the year prior. Several of the book's endorsements were possible because of relationships I developed over the last couple of years at this event. That was also the year that I agreed to step into the organizer role for the LGBTQ and allies community group and started to dream about what we do together in future years. Year four, I arrived wiser from everything I learned launching my group coaching program over the previous year. I also had a question that I asked everyone. Are you in a peer mastermind? From those conversations, I learned best practices for putting together my own peer mastermind and met the first two people who had agreed to join me in this adventure. Year four is also when I organized the first reception for the LGBTQ and allies group co-hosted with one of the other community groups. We also organized two panel discussions about LGBTQ issues, a first for this association as far as I know. Last year, year five, it truly felt like a reunion. I couldn't walk through the halls without saying hello to someone. My business accomplishment was that I had established myself as a relationship-based business strategist and was attracting one-on-one coaching clients. Once again, the LGBTQ and allies community group co-hosted another reception and started dreaming bigger for the following year. This year, year six, the plan is to host an inclusion reception co-hosted by several community groups. And I've already met one of my business goals, which was to do a TEDx. Another business goal is to have learned from launching my first outbound marketing campaign for speaking consulting opportunities at associations, a campaign I learned from someone I met because of my connection to the National Speakers Association. Your challenge for this week. First, thanks for walking down memory lane with me. The lesson here for you, set intentions, make connections, deepen relationships, and seek out leadership opportunities. Commit to the experience from year one and use this annual event to benchmark your business or career growth. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, 
onto this week's interview. Today's guest believes every voice deserves to be heard. As an internet and digital marketing pioneer, she helps content creators grow and monetize a loyal, rabid fan base through understanding connection and the power of influence. She's worked on the branding and messaging for large corporations such as Comcast and Subaru, as well as with hundreds of bloggers, podcasters, and online entrepreneurs. She specializes in personality-driven social media and sales strategy. She's the co-host and co-founder of the She Podcast brand, founded in the belief that women have a unique challenge in getting their voices to be heard. She Podcast currently supports over 14,000 female podcasters and has a digital marketing reach of over 55,000 content creators. It is known for its diversity, education, integrity, and community. Which is not planning the next She Podcast live event, you can find her offering education to independent podcasters on marketing, growth, and sponsorship. Please join me in welcoming Jessica Kupferman. Yay. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us, Jessica, from your office in Wilmington, Delaware. I am thrilled to have you on the show. We were just having so much fun pre-show. We almost didn't get started. But as you know, this is a show about networking and building great networks as, as we're sort of the context is leadership. So let's just kick that off. So, you know, how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? So the way that I define leadership now is being able to make decisions for a group and for the group's greater good, even if that decision is uncomfortable for one person. I think also that leadership is not the same as likability. I think you have to forego being liked in order to do the right thing. And I mean, I just, this just came into my head, but I hadn't thought of it before. But I mean, like people don't like cops, but they keep you safe and they, well, not everyone doesn't like cops, but when people don't like cops, it's because they're trying to get away with something usually. And I sort of feel like leadership is, um, you know, dealing with those things without making anybody angry. There's a lot of um, political skill and uh, which I have not had in the past. I mean, honestly, like my leadership skills, there was no exact time when I thought I'm going to be a great leader. I can tell you that I have been bossy my entire life. Um, I always think that I know better than other people that I can do things better than other people. And they would just give me the reins. I would have this place, you know, running like a motor and, I don't think that's necessarily leadership as much as his arrogance, but um, She Podcast Live is a good example where like, I saw what I didn't like about other things and decided to make my own. And I do that a lot. I make my own job opportunities. I've made my own you know, groups, my own friends. My own, you know, and I sort of like define what, what I want things to be. And people are either with it or they're not. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I yeah. Mean, well, well, we can start with that. I mean, okay. I, one thing I really like, Jessica, is that you're saying that leadership also means making hard choices, right? Hard choices. Not everyone is going to love what you're doing, but you have the greater good in mind and you're trying to, to help people move towards the decision that you think is best for everybody, even though maybe it won't make you the most likable person in the room. And I think that there's a level of respect related to that, right? Like, People may not like you, but they can respect you if you feel if they feel like you're guiding them 
for the right reasons. I think every group is different also. Like I think it, I think leadership is probably harder in certain situations. Like corporate leadership is probably very difficult. Um, nonprofit leadership is probably very difficult. Like I run a community and I feel like keeping a community safe and free of drama is easier i think than in like a like a corporation of like hundreds and thousands of people that work there and make you know and their benefits and their salaries like i have very little on the line i think so it probably makes it easier for me to reflect on what's easy and what's not easy about it you know what i mean like mm. like i make like the decisions i make that are unpopular are like don't talk about politics in the group it's not really that you know, no one's writing articles about it later. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, you mentioned also that you use the term bossy. You said that you've been bossy your whole life. So I'm actually curious, if you take us back to your childhood, you know, how did that show up? What, what was it like? What were you like on like a, the playground? Or did people give you opportunities or did you take opportunities back then for leadership? It was very frustrating. I am an oldest child. Um, my sister is like 26 months younger than me. So she was probably the easiest to boss around and the most effective. Um, in school, I had gone into school a year early because I could already read like in kindergarten, which is when you're supposed to be, I don't know. I was just smarter when I was a kid and, and not to be, and again, not to be arrogant, but most of the time when I was a kid, I was the smartest person in the room and therefore ridiculously impatient waiting for other people to keep up, either with the teacher. If somebody asked a question after she taught and I would just be like, oh my God, you've got to be kidding me. Like, <laughs> let's just, please, can we move on, please? Um, and so I think that, you know, because I was younger, I wouldn't necessarily say that I took a lot of leadership roles. Like I'm also... I didn't know this when I was a kid, but I'm also rather introverted and I don't necessarily want to be in charge because I don't want that much attention. And I mean, I do love attention. It's weird. It's very like, I love attention, but not for being in charge, I guess. And in fact, even she podcasts, like Elsie and I just started it hoping it would like govern itself. <laughs> isn't that cute it will not by the way govern itself we did have to step up and make decisions about stuff but both of us were like you do it no you do it no you do it no you do it because because i you know when i was a kid everything so there's this one girl specifically to give you an example in high school her name was leah leah deets and leah deets and i were in debate together we were in school plays together we played field hockey together we were in all our classes together and if I got the puck in field hockey, I passed it right to Leah. <laughs> I don't want to have anything to do with her psyche being crushed by anything I did instead of her. So I just passed it along. Like when it was, you know, when it was the plays, like I just didn't even try out for the lead because I knew Leah wanted it. You know, there are certain things. I mean, we were friends, but I, and I wouldn't say she was holding me back. I consciously was like, this really means a lot to her. Here you go. It means nothing to me. I don't care. Yeah, it's so interesting because you also say that now you've been a person who's noticed gaps in like what's available in the world and you're the person who sort of fills that gap in. So when you do need something, you go after it. But in that moment, you didn't need to have the like star role on the stage or the star role on the sports team. But when you it's feel like there's something missing. Yeah. 
Well, and yet you're like, we also have our voice heard. Like that's kind of your, your mantra now. And that probably is true then. Like, would you say that you, was there a moment where you like, I'm not being heard. I need to find a way to be heard. Like before, you know, you went off to school, that kind of thing. Yeah, but I mostly felt oppressed by my parents. Like I, I grew up as a Jewish girl in a really, really small town in Maryland. There were like very few, like two, it was me and one other kid that graduated in my, in my class. So like I was already sort of an outsider. So, you know, and I, I was under no, um, you know, I, I knew that once I left high school, it would be a completely different world because I'm, you know, my family was from DC. There are tons of Jews. There. I had tons of Jewish friends. There. I went to Jewish camp. It was just that I was sort of stuck in this weird little hillbilly bubble. And like, I, you know, I was pushing and stretching at it constantly before I, I went to college. So um, rather than struggle, I just kind of made myself invisible. Like I, I went, I, as soon as I got a car, I started hanging out with friends that lived 45 minutes away. I had a boyfriend that was 45 minutes away. I, I just left that area whenever I could because it was too stifling. Yeah, it feels like it was confining who you wanted to be. So where did you then go? Did you, did you head off to school with an with a idea of where you were headed? So I went to University of Delaware thinking I would be an English teacher. Then I changed to journalism. Then I realized I hate the news. And so I um, changed again to communications. So I'm a communications major. Um, I had no idea really. I knew I loved advertising and wanted to do advertising. But at the time, in order to have an ad degree, you need to be able to draw. And I'm the worst artist ever. But you need like a that 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 career was also like a design concepting kind of career and I couldn't do that I mean not until photoshop so and that was years later cuz I'm old so um so yeah so I I also had college was like weird for me and like I had a lot of emotional stuff going on like my parents got divorced my freshman year and I you know I I, I also because I was so smart in grade school never studied and I sailed through. I also have a photographic memory. So if I had a practice test, I would memorize it, not on purpose, but I just could see it in my head and then I would know the answer. So getting to college and having to read 30 pages by Thursday, like I was dead in the water. I was struggling big time. Um, I had lots of friends in social life and I was in an acapella group and I was in a sorority and I wrote for the newspaper, but my grades were suffering because I had no idea how to study. So I don't know. I guess in retrospect, there's a lot of like, I think that, um, I mean, I know that the show is about networking and things like that. That That is something that comes naturally to me. But when you say that we're networking, like I cringe a little bit, but um, I think part of my, I guess, leadership strategy is people feel really comfortable around me. And that's always been the case. So like, um, I'm, I'm kind of like a, a judgment-free zone. And I've always been a judgment-free zone. So like people can be or do anything they want around me and it's not really going to offend me. Also, I'm funny. And I think that makes people feel comfortable too, because I'm sort of unoffendable if I'm offensive on some level. Then I'm not offensive, but do you know what I mean? Like I, I'm the type that sits in the back and, you know, I sit in the back and draw because I'm bored in class. Right. So I'm not, I'm not, I don't mean to be like the bad kid, but I was the talkative kid and it didn't, I don't know. I sort of like, I'm talking myself in circles now at this point. Yeah. You know yeah. I mean? like I, so what, what I'm hearing is that you didn't take a traditional approach of trying to 
you weren't trying hard to get good grades. You just were good at it because you had these skills inherently until you got to college and discovered that that didn't fly, that you had to have some traditional uh, studying skills, but that you were still attracting people to you who wanted to be around you by virtue of you just being you. I mean, I think you were doing the authentic I am me. Yes, thank you. And that's who you were the whole time. Like, even though early on, it meant that you were the kind of bossy kid who wished the school would just kind of like move faster because you're bored, you know, or later on, on when you joined things that you cared about. It was in college, I realized that I could marry groups of people together to get a fun result. Like I had roommates and then I had friends from class and then I had sorority sisters and then I had, you know, people that wrote for the review and I would have parties with like these people and these people or these people and these people and they really liked each other. Sometimes they didn't, but most of the part time they did. And I ended up being someone who like, and this is, this actually is a theme that's happened over and over again. We're all work somewhere and have like a little lunch group of people that eat lunch together every single day. And as soon as I don't work there anymore, they stopped doing it. And I was like, what? I didn't realize that I was the glue that were keep that was keeping these people together, but that does happen a lot to me. I end up marrying people who don't necessarily belong together, and then I, f- and then I, I assume that I'm taking myself out of the equation, and they'll just you know talk amongst themselves. But it doesn't exactly happen. They need me to sort of glue it. I can totally relate to this. I in high school, really? I started to like bring all all the different circles that I was in. I would bring them together. That was my first instinct. And to this day, I mean, that was, that's always my instinct is to bring people together who ordinarily, you know, wouldn't see each other. In fact, my, my working definition of, of having diversity at events is that you see someone like yourself and you meet someone you otherwise wouldn't have. Yeah. And if you're doing both those things on a regular basis, you'll feel like you belong, but you'll also get to connect with people that you wouldn't have connected with in other spaces. So it's, I feels like that's a, that goes beyond being a connector. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a... I've actually been thinking a lot about this, Jessica. I think that there's a difference between being a connector and being a host. Yes, there is. You, yes, it is important to know how to be a good host. Yeah. And that is very different. Because connecting... Have you ever met a connector that's just like, I thought you guys should meet. Have fun. Like, that's not a good host. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I well, hate when people do that to me. <clears throat> well, and there's influencers... So I think there's like influencers, connectors, and hosts. And there are some people who are all three. Yeah. Um, but I think hosting or convening is, is kind of an inherent skill for you. Yes. And, you know, of like seeing people. And that also was why you decided to bring people together for She Podcast. But I want to actually hear about that transition happened because how long have you been in the world of podcasting? 2013. So almost seven years. Almost seven years. Yeah. So you're not in like the first wave of 2005. <laughs> no, that's my partner though. Elsie is. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. I talked to these people who like got started before we, an audio what? Yeah. <laughs> how yeah. do you listen to that? I don't know, how, I mean, how she, she used to, her, her show is called, her first show is Elsie's Yoga Kula, which still gets 2 million downloads per month. And all she did was set up a mic so she could record her yoga classes. And I mean, they're amazing yoga classes, but like that was her whole podcast. That's amazing. In 2005. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Yeah. What was possible? So yeah. when, you, when you got into this, was, that, was there an interest because of your world of advertising? Like what's the connection between these two things? Is, I mean, obviously communication is like the overarching theme, but like how did you realize this was the medium for you? 
Um, at the time, I was really trying to um, increase my visibility and I looked at where I could be interviewed. And a lot of the entrepreneurial shows were men, white men interviewing other white men and the same white men. Like like John Lee Dumas would interview Derek. What's his name? Who would interview Halpern. Lewis Howes? Who would, yeah, thank you. Halpern, who would interview Lewis Howes? Who would interview Gary Vaynerchuk? And I was just like, I'm never going to get on these shows. I'm a short woman Jew. Like this is never going to happen. So I made my own show. I, actually, what happened was I was invited to be on a friend's podcast, and I just loved the way she was like, now's the part of the show where we do this. Now's the part of the show where we do that. Because like when I was a kid, I used to pretend to be a game show host, and my sister was the like the uh, contestants. And you know, like that to me, I've always wanted to be on the radio. Like I looked into it in college and like all those buttons on the mixer, I was like, whoa. But um, I always wanted to do something like that. So I was like, oh my God, my own podcast. This is genius. Now I can interview everyone else and it will be my show and I will be a baller. And it was like fully, fully for the purpose of creating my own fame and glory and not having to rely on someone else for it. Um, and so I created Lady Business Radio and I think it was the first women's interview show for business. Um, and then a couple more popped up. And then um, with She Podcasts, I went to a conference similar to Influencer. And um, when I, I, I found that the women who I asked questions of were giving me answers that were much more relatable than like if I would go to like, for example, John Lee Dewis, I said, I wanted to I went up to him at, it was called New Media Expo. And I was like, I'd really like to increase my downloads. And he says, how many, how long is your show? I said, an hour. He said, make it two half hour shows. There, you've doubled your downloads. And I was like, wow, thanks. So then when I asked my girlfriends that question, they were like, oh, well, I post on here and then I offer to help with that. And then I, you know, that's the kind of answer that I wanted. So I created this tiny little group. She podcast, just women who podcast. And it was like seven women I knew who podcasted. And then Elsie, since she's done it since the dawn of time, added a hundred more women. And before you know it, like now it's 15,000 women. Um, and the lady business radio thing, like I, I had a baby somewhere in there. When I came back, I felt like that genre didn't really need me anymore. It has grown, you know, women in entrepreneurship has grown enormously. There are billions of podcasts about that right now, but I feel still think Elsie and I are the only female show about podcasting. Yeah. I, that's a niche that is really needed. But I mean, I, I also am a pretty good writer, but when I started my show, I felt like there was so much more of my personality coming through. Like, like, and I mean, you have to be a pretty good writer to even have response, but I had been blogging for like seven years and I once or in a while I would get like a, Hey, great email or great article. But I mean, the second I started podcasting, people were just like, you're so funny. Oh my God, you're so smart. Can you help me? Can you do this? Can we work together? That never happened when I was writing. And I think it's just simply because like I can express myself a lot better verbally. And there are some people who are better writers, but I think if you have... I guess I'll say a dynamic personality. It comes through better with voice, I think. So as you're making this shift though, because uh, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you on the benefits of having your own show. Um, but as you're making this shift, what were some of the challenges? Like, you know, you don't start a show and immediately get those responses. So there's going to be some time that you're just kind of like putting content out there into the universe into the vacuum, <laughs> into the void, nothing happening. How did you commit to consistently putting out content before you even knew like 
it's tested. So I did already have an audience. Like I did have a digital audience. I did have, I wouldn't say a successful blog, but like 2000 people on an email list. And like, I was well known in, a, in the women's entrepreneurial community as someone who could help with weird tech stuff. Like my opt-in is showing code and like, I could just go in and fix it. Or my about page, all the pictures are upside down and I can just like go in and fix it. So and people in, in the Facebook groups I was in knew me pretty well. And so when I started a podcast, I did have somewhat of a, of a base audience. Now, the challenge was that I, as usual, tried to improve on the original. So I thought, I'll have a live show, but it'll be digital. But people can call in and then they can ask my guest questions live. And that worked like three times. And then no one was calling in, no one was signing in. And I was getting angry. And I was like, these women... All I want them to do is ask, you know, and then I would look at my stats and I was like, oh, but 300 people listened. It's just that they didn't do it when I said so. Perhaps I should back off a little and let people control their own lives. So, um, so that worked. And I mean, it was sort of like, yeah, there are some things that don't really need my interference and work perfectly well on their own. And since then, you know, I've learned that the whole beauty of podcasting is that it's on demand and not a television show where you have to like set an alarm and tune in. The whole right, world has to sort of Right. The whole world sort of has to be on demand in order for it to be functional at this point. And that's like what I learned seven years ago. That was my first lesson in that. So one of the things I love is that before you try creating all this new content, this is sort of also true when people are launching a book, um, you already had a base, you already had a community. And I think that's, I want to underscore that though, because a lot of times people have a great idea and they squirrel themselves away into a basement to like develop their idea and then they show up on the market with like a, ta-da, I'm here. Everyone come look at this thing. It's shiny and it's wonderful. And you, you, you definitely need it, right? And people are like, no, we don't know what you're talking about. We never even heard of you. And so the fact that you were investing and giving, I mean, what I'm hearing is you were giving a lot in those Facebook communities. You were supporting other people. Yeah. There's a lot of value out, not just asking for things. Yeah, and people thought I was funny and they wanted me to do a YouTube. And actually, now that I remember, it started off as a YouTube, but I got so caught up in what my hair looked like. Like I couldn't get past if my hair was looking weird. And, and then like there was a whole thing where like I would get very, very fussy about how it was edited and I would try to be funny and like fly jokes in that I thought of as I was editing. And then I realized like a half hour show is taking me four hours to edit. This is insane. So I just stripped all the audio and started doing an audio show because there's so much more freedom in not being able to wear pants if you don't want to than like having to watch yourself as you're talking to someone because like you're here down below. But if I want you to think I'm looking at you, I got to look up here. And then like if, you know, you're talking somehow I'll be like, oh my God, what is that hair doing right there? And then like, you know, I just, I, I got very distracted trying to do video in every aspect of it. So um so this, that was sort of my solution. It was sort of a combination of like people encouraging me. It was the same with the She Podcast Live event. Like people were constantly encouraging me to do an event and I would be like, I really want to do it, but I don't know if I should. And then it's like, no, you're talking, you know, then there's like an avalanche of support and that sort of pushes me towards the move. But the move sometimes can be percolating for a while. I don't really go in the basement and then be like, ta-da, I made something all on my own. Like I, I really need people to be like, you, you must do this. And, and then I have to sort of, as a web designer in general, you sort of like my whole, and a business coach, like my whole job is to like kill dreams kind of. 
like people have these crazy dreams and my whole thing is just to be like, okay, but how are you going to execute it? How's it going to work? What's your point? What's your goal? How's your this? How's your that? So when people do that to me, I have to really, you know, like try to break it, I guess, you know, like I have to break this idea and think of all the ways I can't do it. And if there aren't that many, then I'll do it. <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It also goes with the theme, Jessica, earlier of that you're a reluctant leader in the sense of you're reluctant to be in the spotlight, but you are willing to carry the idea forward if you believe it's the right idea. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So then having the chorus of people demanding action is very helpful, but also every entrepreneur should take that tact, you know, of like, waiting until the market is screaming for you to take action will lead to a better outcome than you like dreaming something up in your head and then hoping that people are excited. <laughs> I don't think a, I don't think a lot of amazing products were ever successfully launched by people being like, you know what you need? You need a bell that can hold a baby bottle and a cell phone. You need like a utility belt. You know, like people need to be like, Oh, you're an inventor. You know, you know, you should do, you know, and then you got to kick something around that people are needing. You can't just be like, I know what you need. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's one of the, that is actually one of the um, cores of entrepreneurism that I think people forget because they know what their skill is. Therefore, everyone must need them for this thing. Right. And I think they forget that like, yeah, but what if we don't though? Or that like, audience for example, doesn't. <laughs> for example, people have told me I should do a class on how to be funny. And I was like, no, this is the worst idea ever because people think they're funny already. And I don't want to be the one to tell them they're not, certainly, because then nobody likes me. And also, you know, I can't convince this. Is, I don't really want to be in the position of convincing other people that I'm funnier than they are. I mean, but everyone already thinks it's like saying, I can teach you how to be smart, <laughs> right? It's like, um, I don't need that because I'm a genius, you know? Yeah. And so, what's the pain point yeah. like in right. how people be funnier? Like, I mean, this is the issue I have with networking. Oh, I wish. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the networking, it's like, you know, it's, it, people who are stuck at networking have, have created lives where they don't have to do it as much. So they like don't feel that it's a significant pain point. But the people who are, you know, selling and, and moving people and, um, you know, compelling people to take action are... A, are aware of it and need to improve upon it. I think it's always about finding the right market for what you can do in the world. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you have managed, that's like a magical thing. You've managed to do that by listening to those around you. I want to talk a little bit about those people who are around you because okay. I imagine that it's a super eclectic still group of people from a zillion walks of life Yes. That you don't keep them in separate silos in your head. They're all just part of your your tribe, your community. They're slightly separated, but that's just because there's family and then there's people who live near me and there's people who don't live near me. Okay, so even those three distinctions are geographical and familial, not right. like based on like what they're industry not like they're tech in. nerds and athletes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then prima donnas. Like, no, I don't have that at all. It's You're like, right. would I go to their birthday? Can I drive to their house? Do I, do I have to mail something to them? Like, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so right, right. how do you nurture not not those close ties? So you've got the like people you've known for like really tight community people, but like that second and third layer out, the people that maybe you only see once a year at a conference or you worked with five years ago uh, or you went to school with, like the, the people that, you know, you like their stuff now and again on Facebook, but how do you, like what's your philosophy or practice around nurturing and sustaining that bigger network? 
So that network might need to be clarified and divided as people I know versus people who know me. And the people I know, I make effort to comment on stuff that they're doing. I take a minute to go, yay, good for you, can't wait, that's awesome, yay, you go, whatever. Um, Just so that I can sort of, it's not really, I mean, I'm saying it as if it's a strategy, but that's how I do it to just like keep in touch. Like I know, I know people who want to like keep in touch. They'll call someone on the phone, just say hi. I was just thinking of you. Have a great day. This is my way of doing that without using the telephone. I don't text sometimes, but I think it's even less. I'm I'm low maintenance enough to just be like hi, and then that's it. You know, so they just know that I exist and that I'm there. People who know me but that I don't know. That's kind of what I use um, my email list for, and like. I used to be much, much, much more active on social. I've since stopped doing that. And I, every time I say this, I, I would like a logical reason as to why it's happened. I haven't come, come up with that quite yet. I know reasons why I don't feel like doing it anymore, but I don't know if that's the reason why. Does that make sense? Like I used to be very, very social. And now I'm not on social media and actually in person as well. Um, and I'm not quite as social as I used to be. But I do like the people I already know, which is not networking at all. It's like kind of sad. So, so once a year at a conference, I make specific effort to hug these people and talk to these people and find out how these people's businesses are doing and how their families are doing. And I, I make a big deal about catching up with them at least for five minutes. People who don't know me, if they have the desire to come up and talk to me, I'm I'm really very conscious about like direct eye contact and physical touch. So normally when someone wants to come up to me and tell me how much they love my group, I will usually give them a hug. I mean, and then if they have something else to say to me, I make sure that I am looking dead in the eyes of that person because I want them to know that I'm really listening and that I really care. Even if something terrible is happening, I have no idea what they're saying. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, if it's like, if it's loud or whatever, but I still want people to really feel like I've listened. And that's sort of my version of making people feel connected with me. I don't know that I'm the easiest person to connect with. Like, I'm, I might be a little Aspergery and I can be kind of introverted and I don't always like that many people. I mean, I say that, but I can think of like thousands of people who I really, really love, but like, I don't know. Then there's like even more that I don't. So it's hard to, (laughs) it's sort of hard to, I guess maybe that's everybody. I don't know. So Jessica, I will say that um, (laughs) since networking to me doesn't just mean meeting new people. So if you are. Oh, good. Thank God. Yeah. I I believe this is my own belief. It's not studied by anything, but I think that 80% of who you need to know to be successful, you've already met. And That's interesting. I think that a lot of us haven't done the work of like sustaining those connections. And we sort of move on from one job to another, maybe one industry to another. And then we forget those people, even though those people would love to hear from us or we would love to hear from them, vice versa. And then when we do reach out, we already have established a relationship of trust. They know us, they like us, they trust us. They think highly of us. And then they hear that you're doing this thing and that's who they, they tell everyone in their yes, little village. exactly. Yeah, that's my whole social media strategy and that I tell people is friend, friend everyone you've ever met. Because even if they, even if you didn't like them before, uh, but if they see what you're doing, they'll tell, it's your best sales team right there. There's people who've known you in any kind of way ever. 
ex-boyfriends, their parents, your parents, friends, rabbis, priests, doesn't matter. Friend them all. Because if you have any kind of service that people need, they'll tell people for you. It's exactly, yeah. exactly right. Um, as far as meeting new people, I'm not totally uncomfortable with it, but I'm much better like on a bus with a stranger than I am at a party with a hundred strangers. Like I want to leave that situation immediately yet I can make friends almost everywhere I go with like individuals. And I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess that's being introverted, but also like, I don't think in a party I met my best because I'm charming and funny and you can't do that when the music's loud. Mm. I, I can you know hear I mean? that. Like, yeah. It kill yeah, it kills like, your like your uh your stick gets stepped on a little bit by the sound. Yeah, like, there's level. no mojo. It's just me smiling and trying to be drunk. Like, and I don't want to make friends with you if you're drunk. So why am I here? What are we doing here? So when you're when you're traveling and going to these conferences, do you ever host dinner gatherings or you know, smaller groups yeah. of people? Yes, I love it. I've learned a lot of lessons there too, which is don't let anyone else control. <laughs> Those dinners, like I had a friend, I was visiting somewhere and I had someone in my group that was like, I'd love to do a meetup and I'll plan the whole thing. And I was like, great, tell me where to be and what time. And she didn't invite anybody. Like I ended up just posting in the group one time. And so it was like three people, two of which had to go in like a half hour. It's like, what? I don't know why I thought it would be different, but I was like, from now on, when I do dinners, I'm going to be like, who's in this area that wants to come to dinner? Where should we go? This is what time I'll be there from here to here. And then I know, you know, I can, you can search your own friends to see who's going to be there and just invite them all, see what's good for them, whatever. I mean, but you can't let someone else plan something for your, it just made no sense. Now I've learned my lesson not to do that. But yeah, I love to do those dinners um, and meet up with people and say hi. And it's really fun. I love that strategy uh, in relation to large events like conferences. Yeah. I even... A few years ago, I live in Boston and uh, an inbound is a big conference here. Oh, yeah. I was thinking of going. Actually, someone yeah. just mentioned it this morning that I should go. Well, if you come, I will, I'm host a dinner. I host Now I host two dinners that week. So th- three or four years ago, I, I decided I wasn't going, but I had a lot of friends who were speaking. Mm-hmm. So I decided to host a dinner and I figured they would invite other speaker friends. And we had a nice little group. And somehow I got a community ticket from that. And then last, the next year... I got a free ticket to the whole event through a circles. I heard it was expensive. That's amazing. So it's just sort of like keeps kept happening, but whether I go or not, like having time with about, you know, 18 other people over a two day period where I feel like this is my time to connect. Cause I'm, I'm an outgoing extrovert, like very much so, but you put me in a room full of 23,000 people. I'm just as awkward scary. as the next person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's scary. It's, it's scary. not easy to navigate. So these smaller, yeah. I like the, you know, since you are a natural convener and host, it makes sense that you would take the opportunity to like, hey, if we're going to do this, let's actually go hang out with people we want to talk to. And actually, if you do that at the beginning of the conference week, then whoever's there with you, you have like a home base of people. Like, I don't like to be at a conference where I don't have like three or four people that know what I'm doing doing and I know what they're doing. I don't know why, but it's sort of just like, okay, we'll meet back here for lunch or what are you doing for your, even if I don't see them the rest of the time, just to be able to text someone and be like, where are you? What are you doing? Like, it makes me feel better about it. And I think those dinners really help with that. If you're somewhere new and it is 23,000 people, like I like to have three people that at least I know are somewhere, you know, and those dinners really help with that. So that's a really good strategy. And part of that might be, you know, engaging in the Facebook community 
before the event, right? So that you're known and they're known. And yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you're that's that's a strategic way of using social. So you're not just like, you know, it's not social for social sake, but <laughs> strategic. Yeah, totally. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 So if we were to meet a year from now and you were telling me about all of the amazing things that you accomplished in the previous year, mm. what are we going to be celebrating? Well, I am hoping we will be celebrating another She Podcast Live in Scottsdale, Arizona with a thousand attendees and $500,000 in sponsorship sales. That's what I really want this year. Um, and I want that because I want a true women's conference that has like fun activations like wine tasting and beauty bars and stuff. And like, because I'm in the tech world, I find that to be a really big challenge. Like, I know tons of like podcaster tool sponsors and I love that. But because it's the only women's conference, like I really want to try and make it as diverse as possible. And I'm, I've, it's only been one event. So I can't say I'm struggling, but like, that's my goal is to have like a really unique vendor area. Um, so I would be celebrating that. I will be celebrating a year from now. So let's see, uh, February, I will be celebrating a successful podfest, which I think, you know, my partner who was there at um, Influence, Chris Kermit, so it's his event is in, well, by the time you guys listen to this, it will have been about a month ago, but right now it's like two weeks from now and um, he's doing really well. And I would probably be working on that and trying to get him the same thing, at least 1,500 attendees, 500,000 in sponsors. That would be amazing. Wow, that is amazing. Those are big goals. They are big goals. When, what time of year is is, uh, She Podcast Live? It's October 15th through the 18th in Scottsdale, Arizona. Mm-hmm. And the links should be live. So actually, I know you haven't asked me this, but it's shepodcast.live if you're interested in going to a, po- a women's podcasting conference. Other than women do go, it's just that the content and the aesthetic is geared towards women. But I mean, men went last year too and, you know, everybody and their mother went. So feels like the kind of guys that say yes to that event are the kind of guys you'd want to have go. Those are my exact words. Really? As a matter of fact, yes. Oh. When people ask me about it. I'm like, if, well, right. If people ask me about it. I'm like, if there's a guy that wants to come to this event, that's the guy I want there for sure. Yeah, definitely. And if I'm you, and guy. if people are weird <laughs> about it, don't show up. Yeah, of course you're that guy. You're definitely that guy. I mean, and there are a lot of, actually there are a lot of podcasters that are that guy because they just love it so much. They just want to be part of the conversation. They don't care who's talking about it or if it's in a floral background, you know, which is like, great, then show up. That's what I want. Yeah, I mean, when I uh, when I established my show back in 2016, I committed to having every other uh, guest be a woman, and which you know pushed you That's to awesome. like look because a lot of times women aren't pitching themselves, and it yes. made me really selective about what men I said yes to. Just because you're a white guy who wrote a book doesn't mean you're a thought leader. So, right. Sorry. Sorry, guys. So yeah, I was committed to having at least half of my speakers. I didn't get there though because not enough pitched, but. of my speakers were either women of color, LGBTQ, or both. And it wasn't easy because I had to, I had, yeah, there weren't really enough that pitched. And also I couldn't necessarily say yes to everyone because some didn't have a podcast. You know, like I can't say yes to the ones who all did, even though I would have liked to. I had to go, I had to like, I have to pluck them. I had to pluck them from from their solitude and be like, listen, you have something great to say and I want you to come even though you didn't apply. Well, it's true. I think when people aren't used to being at the table, you have to make the invitation more like of a welcoming. Yes. We would love to have you. You're a genius. Yeah. Your voice is really needed. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's, 
really important. It sounds like you're creating an amazing space for this. I am, I am super thrilled that you have this space. I'm a big supporter of what you're doing. Thank you. Um, Because now, as you know, every two out of every three guests are women on my show. So we'll talk offline about who else I can have on the show. Because I love so many people illustrating great stories. Right. So tell tell me and the folks listening, how can people find you and follow your work? Shepodcast.com is where it's sort of like my digital home base where we have our podcast and information about working with us, us meaning Elsie, my partner and myself. And then She Podcast Live is the event. Or if you want to just find me, I'm at Jess Kupferman on everything. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I do not have a YouTube channel because I can't stop myself from editing. But (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is great. uh, Maybe someday. Yes, thank you so much. Yeah, we'll have all these links in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Thank you so much. Thank you. you enjoyed that interview with Jessica. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 187. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as nearly 200 archived episodes on this Pinterest-inspired page. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. Are you in an association? I'd like to chat with you about your experience at annual meetings. This research helps me provide stronger solutions when I'm consulting with associations around member retention and what I'm calling the year two experience. Would you be willing to schedule a quick chat with me? Yes? That's great. Email me at Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com and we'll find a time to chat. If you enjoyed this episode with Jessica, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. And I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional who has achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an awesome week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.